maybe it's a favorite uh, uh, shopping place or uh, a favorite daily excursion uh, to get ready for Christmas. We really are, I think, most of us, people of, of uh, we're creatures of habit. And <clears throat> that is well and good, except I think when it becomes uh, routine or we, we turn our brains off. You know, we do that often, and, and that's uh, what a challenge, uh, one of the challenges of weather like we had today is uh, most of the time, I don't think about how I get from 320 Goodrich Drive to here at the church. Uh, I get in my car, turn it on, and just go on autopilot, right? All, uh, a lot of us do that. I'm sure you've wondered, uh, you know, sometimes how you got somewhere, you don't even remember getting there. You just... You, you do that by na- by nature. You do it by re- uh, repetition. You, you do it by rote. And, and so I think sometimes worship can be that way. And we often develop preferences in worship. Uh, and we, have, we develop ways of thinking about, uh, for instance, Christmas worship uh, that we, uh, we really, I think, maybe should explore or challenge. You know, when it's minus three degrees and that's what my car thermometer read this morning and when you see uh and you feel the tires kind of slipping a little bit you think a lot more about how you got here right Uh, when we look at scriptures like psalm 149 it makes me think a lot more about how i should approach worship in this christmas season you see we can get in those routines of, of doing christmas the same way uh, we can get those routines of doing worship the same way, not coming prepared for God to, to rock our world, not coming prepared for, for us to, to hear from God and for us to give to him uh, a, a new song that we then can get in these habits. And I think they rob us of the experiences. They rob us, God, of the experiences that we want to give him. Uh, that's what I want to talk about today is Psalm 149. Uh, I think this teaches us some things about worship. Uh, I think it, it teaches us a surprising thing about worship that I'm going to share with you today. And we're going to look, you might say, well, what's the Christmas sermon in this? Well, I, I'll make it clear uh, toward the end. And it's going to turn and maybe rock your world a little bit uh, about how you approach your Christian life, uh, about how you approach uh, your Christian worship, your worship of Christ, your worship of the Father, and your worship during this Christmas season. Psalm 149, it gives us four lessons about worship. The first lesson is this, that worship should be fresh. Worship should be fresh. What do I mean by that? The first part of Psalm 149 says, uh, praise the Lord, Uh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, uh, we talked about Psalm 150 last week, and I I talked to you a lot about what hallelujah means. And hallelujah and Ninyah, the pet name for God, uh, boast on God, shine upon God. We begin with that, and then he says, sing a new song. Now, they repeat, and you notice in these psalms, particularly toward the end, uh, Psalm 149, 150, the Psalm 140s, uh, this is often repeated, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then he says, sing to us a new song. Well, what's that mean? I, I think it means... Uh, that we should not uh, get into the, the place where we have only one style, or only one way we can worship. You know, we purposely here uh, don't give you in the bulletin an order of worship. 
I, I know of churches uh, that give an order of worship, and, and that is their mindset. Now, I'm not here to talk bad about anybody else. I, I just want to say this to you. Uh, my belief personally, and my belief as a leader here, uh, is to, to make it a place where the unexpected can happen. To make it a place where uh, we don't know what's going to happen next. Because life is like that, isn't it? And when we talk about singing to the Lord a new song, we, we need to understand that. What, what does that mean? It might bring us out of our comfort zone. It, it might sometimes bring us to a place where, where we're maybe not, uh, it's not our preference for the style of music. Now, each of us have different uh, ways and styles of music that we respond most to. And in an audience of this group, this size, I'm sure we have some uh, that uh, prefer more of the gospel, uh, more of the hymns. Uh, we have some that prefer, prefer more of the contemporary Christian. Maybe we even have some that prefer Christian rap. No, don't, don't you, not you, Brenda, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was a great challenge for me when my kids started getting older. And I, I'm of the opinion, that, and this is, a, this is a, uh, one of those old grouchy opinions. I, I'm of the opinion that rap is not music. Can I, did, did I say that too strong? Rap is not music. That, that's my opinion. And uh, when my kids started getting up to the age where they could choose what kind of music they listened to and they would turn on rap music I'd be like no but the awesome thing was that they were turning on Christian rap music very creative very worshipful rap music people using and combining the spoken word with music, yeah, there's usually an accompaniment, uh, a beat of some kind. They, they, would, <laughs> they would bring that together, and, and they would be praising God. And it helped me to see that, that, yes, even Christian rap, whether it's music or not, it could be worshipful and could bring folks to the place where they lift God up and put him where he, sh he belongs and also hear from him and, and be able to respond to him. It's important for us, I think, to not come to church expecting uh, to do the same things. We, we should come to church, I think, expecting the unexpected. Secondly, I think this psalm tells us that worship should be communal. Worship should be communal. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, notice here, as he continues with, with verse 1 to verse 3, uh, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king and, and make music to him. Uh, or where are we at here? Yeah, make music to him with timbrel and harp. Uh, so what are we talking about here? Well, the, the plural is used. Maybe you, you haven't read that, probably you haven't read the Hebrew, but I can assure you the, the plural is used. They bring to him uh, this group worship. They bring to him an expressions of praise together. 
Now, I believe you certainly can worship God individually, and I, in fact, I think you should. I think there should be times of private uh, worship, individual worship. Uh, but I also say that there's no mistake that it says to us in the New Testament, forsake not the assembly. There, there's no mistake that there is this teaching throughout Scripture that, that not only do we interact with God individually, we interact with God as a body. And there's something that can, can happen in a group of believers uh, that uh, very rarely can happen as individuals. You know, I saw a cartoon one time uh, that showed up front, uh, you know, it's obviously a church worship center, a sanctuary. Up front, there was a giant TV screen, and, and there was a, a, a player of, to, that obviously would play something on the TV screen in the worship service. And then you, you looked out in the congregation, there were, there were 150 tape recorders all out there. Now, I don't know who was going to turn on all the tape recorders, but a worship service where it was going to be played remotely and everybody was going to record it and then maybe listen to it later. Uh, how would that work? You know, I think it is a great tool. And by the way, maybe you don't know that we now uh, stream our services on Facebook um, and hi to all the Facebook people today that uh, aren't able to get out. Uh, but also, it's, and, and, and I think that's a great alternative to, to watch and to be participating in worship remotely. But I'm also saying to you, as often as we can, we need to be here together. As often as we can, I think there's something dynamic, there's something special that happens when the people of God gather together and sing praises, when people of God gather together and commune around the Lord's table, when the people of God uh, gather together and grieve, yeah, even grieve, there's something special that happens. When the people of God gather together and celebrate and uh, have great times of rejoicing, that this is what is going on here is uh, that this new song, this praise, it happens communally it happens together and then uh, we can can experience God in new and fresh ways uh, our worship can be innervating our worship can be energizing that's exactly what God wants and did you notice this phrase that maybe makes some of us uncomfortable let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp like I say uh, in different ways, in unexpected ways. I'm grateful for people uh, that, that push us to think about worship in different ways. And I, I hope that we don't uh, limit ourselves in our worship experiences by maybe our preconceived notions. Uh, in this case, we think of dancing, and I told you last week, the, the word in Hebrew means to go around in a circle. I, I think of little children. You know how... You watch little children that are happy, they skip along. Uh, you, little children are happy, they're, they are just not encumbered by thinking about what other people are going to be thinking about them. They're, they're just glad to celebrate and be happy. What God wants for us is that kind of transformation to happen. There's some clear teaching here that I want to share with you. The third lesson is in verses 4 and 5, that worship should transform us internally worship should transform us 
internally. For the Lord take, takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory or with salvation. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. Why should we praise God? There's two uses of this word that's translated in the NIV, uh, the blessed people, the faithful people. That word's hesed in the Old Testament. It's one of the most important words you see. It talks about how God's loving kindness, how God's uh, mercy is given to his people, and they respond by faithfulness. It talks about the covenant of salvation. And so what happens here is as we learn to approach God and sing him new songs, as we learn to, to encounter God in a new and fresh way individually and communally, as we bring our best and our open hearts to worship, then what happens is God can, can turn us and change us and give us these responses you see what this psalm tells us is i think god watches us from above i said a little bit to you this last week uh, it, i think god's favorite instrument is not the drums it's not the shofar it's not the electric guitar it's not the keyboard god's favorite instrument is his people and i think whenever his people gather together god with his omniscience his all-knowingness he, he somehow knows what we're doing and and I, I think he as we bring fresh open hearts to him as we bring sincerity to him uh, he smiles he, he's pleased by our gathering together he's pleased by our worship but not only that he reaches in and, and turns us from being people perhaps who think about what bad can happen about what good can happen he turns us from people who think about what's wrong with life instead of in into people who think about what is right in life he turns us uh, from people who perhaps think of him as a joyless ogre to understanding that he is a god who delights in his children that's what this says to us doesn't it and then this curious phrase let the saints rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds you know it's a striking phrase to me uh, I think it indicates to us what's told in other places that God wants us to have joy joy different than happiness I've told you this before uh, happiness is an emotion it's conditional upon what's going on around us joy is more of an attitude joy is more uh, of a confident understanding that God is going to work out his plan and his purpose in our lives as long as we walk in step with him as long as we believe in him and, and work with him he directs and leads us in the, the paths of righteousness for his name's sake you know god as it tells us in romans 8 28 works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose that's why it tells us in james uh, consider it all joy my brothers when you face trials of many kinds there's that same word and on their beds, I think, gives us uh, a, a little more nuance. Uh, oftentimes, it's when you're uh, laying down at night or in your early waking hours that you think about things deeply. You reflect on what's going on when you're away from everyone else. And what this says to us is that the joy, God wants to transform us so uh, that 
We're joyous when no one is watching. You know, I told Beth I was going to share this, and, and uh, uh, she always has been an inspiration, a, a great witness to me, uh, because she is a hummer. You know, maybe some of you are like this. Uh, I'm like, you know, and especially I'm not a morning person, but I, if I happen to be up in the morning around her, and she's just humming a song. Usually it's a Christian song. And um, I'm like, but that, that's because I think of her close walk with the Lord. It's because uh, she has this times of joy that we're talking about here in Psalm 149. Uh, she said uh, she hums because she can't sing. That's what she told me. I, I told her I would share that. Uh, no, I told her I wouldn't share that. Says you can. Uh, maybe a little humor, humor for you. Um, I wonder today what song is in your heart. If you can sing, what song are you singing? If you can not sing, what song are you humming? It's a challenge for us, right? I think to not see worship as something we do, but worship as something we are. That's a crucial distinction. And I'm going to give you the challenge here because this psalm turns from verse 5 to verse 6. It turns in a way we don't expect. And I think this is the most insightful revelation the Spirit gave to me as I was studying and preparing this this week. That worship inspires us to action. That's the last lesson. Worship inspires us to action. In fact, I would say it so strongly as this. I'm, I'm saying I, I don't think our worship is sincere before God unless he has transformed us into ministers, into servants for him. It's not enough to sing to God. We each need to in our own ways, with our own gifts, with his own purpose and plan for us, we need to serve him. Well, it's put a little different way. Look at verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> May the praise of God be in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hands to inflict vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. Uh, to bind their kings with fetters, their nobles with shackles of iron, to carry out the sentence written against them. This is the glory of all his faithful people. That is wild when you start thinking about it. We're, we're going from a worship service, you know, to taking out the enemies of God. Now, before you think that you need to go to the gun store on the way home, I don't think this is all about, necessarily about a physical military battle. What I do want you to understand is, I think it is clear that the Christian walk is a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare that God calls us to. He truly calls us to be a, a part of the army of God in a spiritual sense. We are to take up our military, uh, excuse me, our spiritual armor and fight in this battle. Ephesians 6, uh, to call this to your memory, Final, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, 
against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. After you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Double-edged sword is used in Psalm 149. Not a thought that's uh, not used in the New Testament. In fact, it gives us this understanding in Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged, two-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Here's what I need to say to you today. Is as we learn to, to worship God and give him our hearts, to give him uh, free reign to change us into the people he wants to be, then we are going to be his emissaries, his witnesses. We're going to be bringing the word of truth to life around people around us. What does that mean? First, we need to know the word, but then we, we live out the word around us. Worship as a community Worship on Sunday morning, it is important, it's powerful, it's hopefully transformative, it is fresh, it's a new song. But then it takes us and prepares us for the real worship that happens out on the streets. We bring the double-edged sword to bear, to life, in people around us. We allow God to, to use us as soldiers in the spiritual battle. Uh, to be pleasing to him, to, to lead for him. You see, God has got each of us. Uh, some of us today are worried about the state uh, of our country, of, of, of the cultural and spiritual battles that are going on. I think we have right to be concerned, but we also understand that we are called to, to go into that fight. And what is it we're to do? Uh, Dan Curtis, one of his favorite verses, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Sounds just like Psalm 149 to me. Now, you might be saying, well, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Any of you been thinking that? No, you were, you were just enjoying the sermon, weren't you? You weren't anything. I'm telling you, don't come just... Turning the brain off, you, you want to think through these things, right? Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 has this curious uh, passage where it talks about, uh, and you can read through this later. I don't have time to, to give you an expansive exposition on it today. Uh, but you read through it and you see there's a woman who's about to give birth. And there are the... the angel who turned wrong, Lucifer, and his fellow angels that he, he talked into rebelling against God, they are fighting uh, to kill this woman's child. It seems she has a male child that she's about to give birth to who will uh, rule with an iron scepter. It's uh, obvious 
uh, foreshadowing of Christ. And, and you see you have the angels fighting against Lucifer and his angels, and, and they defeat Lucifer and, and cast him down uh, to the earth. It's a, a clear reference to what would happen on a night in Bethlehem. It's a clear reference to how the wheels of salvation were set into motion, the wheels of God being able to come and live inside of us and, and use us as his emissaries. And it calls to mind that dual role of the angels. You remember last week I told you, Luke chapter 2, we know it, don't we? That the shepherds are out in the fields and at night they see an angel come and they're terrified. But the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy. And then after that, the other angels come and sing about the good news, about the salvation that is to come. But notice it is those same angels that sang and praised God that then were his military army to fight the evil one and his forces and cast him down to heaven. And where did he go? He went to this world where you perhaps have faced some flaming arrows of the evil one. But I tell you this, greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. And just like the angels praise on one hand and fight on the other, so I think we are called today to praise God on Sunday morning and then fight the rest of the week. To be his witnesses, to swing his sword, to bring his light and his witness to bear. That's what Christmas Worship is about. It is a call to action. It's a call to action that God says to me to proclaim to you today. It's a new song. What will we do with it? Will we be people of song or will we be people of sword? I say God wants us to be people of songs and swords. Father, as we think about these things today, I pray that you would, uh, you already have taught us, you've challenged us. Maybe we think a lot about uh, songs in worship, maybe we think a lot about prayers in worship or, or sermons in worship, but I guess most of us probably don't think a lot about ministry in worship. I pray today that you've impressed upon us that each of us have an important role in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. Each of us uh, can be warriors for you. Each of us can be ministers for you. I pray, Lord, you've touched us, and I pray that you'll change us, you'll energize us, I pray that we will be your revolution in this community. Instead of thinking about what all is wrong, we would do our best to be part of what is right. Because we're led by you. We're empowered by you. We're transformed by you. Father, I pray this day that you speak to us and we hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's ministry time. If you have a decision, we'd love to help you with that. 
maybe to become a Christian, or maybe to join us here formally. Let's stand together and sing. If you have a decision, please come.